Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 4, 404, Not Found is Over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about it, and now here are two guys who uh, are just going to go for a walk. It's Josh Wiggler, that's me, and Antonio Mazzaro, that's he. That's me. And so many fours there at the beginning. I guess I didn't really put all that together. What day is this? Is this the fourth? No, it's not. Okay, it's good. not. It's not. The, uh, it's a, right. it's a, an October 28th as we are recording this a little later than we normally record our Mr. Robot podcast. Thank you all for your patience waiting for this one, as I'm sure you can understand a lot. It's a process. This is, this is a, a meaty, a meaty episode of Mr. Robot, uh, an episode where there is uh, a lot of uh, new, uh, really one really major new development, which I'm still trying to keep shrouded in some veil of secrecy in case you've wandered into this episode, uh, this podcast by accident. You may want to lost. You may be lost. It's not impossible. You yeah. may want to follow the howl of death out of here uh, because. Uh, yeah, there is something ominous in the future. If you have not watched 404 of Mr. Robot quite yet, we're going to get into heavy spoiler mode in just a few seconds. Here, of course, if you are not already subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Our Apple feed is accessible at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. It's the way you can find us there, but we are available on your podcast app of choice. If you do not like the Apple feed, uh, your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. Uh, and yeah, I guess like that's enough of a spoiler warning because we just got to talk about the fact he's dead! Daryl! Daryl! R.I.P. Ah! You're shouting, you're screaming. Ah! More, you're, are, you, are you shouting for the death of a terrorist, Josh? Oh! <laughs> I'm howling. I hope your wife is home. She's home, she's home. I have not yet gotten a babe text, but she is home. Uh, <laughs> this is a thing that happens, you get a babe text? It is imminent, it is imminent, I am sure. A pig in the woods? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I just get a gif of James Cromwell pops up on my phone. Uh, oh, man, in, in quick succession, even. Indeed. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, it, Tyrell is dead. Uh, poor Tyrell is dead. And it's somewhere, it's winter, and we're n- not really running out of ice in any way. Uh, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your mileage on this, Tyrell has ceased to be. He is no longer alive in the context of Mr. Robot. We're we're good on that, right? Like, that definitely is the case. We're not going to say we're hanging out. We faded to white. The man is dead. I think you and I are good on this. I think that Robot Nation at large may not be. Uh, I did indeed speak with Sam Esmail once again. Uh, I spoke with Martin Wallstrom as well, the actor who has played Tyrell Wellick from The Jump. Oh, the actor's um, not dead. That's good to he, know. he is alive. He seems like he's doing just fine. He's going to be great. Uh, uh, and yeah, uh, he's 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 no more. Tyrell Wellick is dead. Uh, always possible that interviews and interviewers can be misled. Uh, it is not impossible that that is the case. I would be surprised. Uh, my understanding is yes, that is that is a curtain call uh, for Tyrell Wellick. This being Mr. Robot, a show that has had flashbacks that has had vision sequences, I would be surprised if we never see Tyrell again, or Angela for that matter, or many of the other people who have died along the way. I'm sure that there will be ways uh, to thread them in, especially as we saw with the with the with the White Rose sequence last last week. Um, you know the 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 prolific uh, flashback sequence that we got at the start of that episode. I wouldn't be shocked if we see Tyrell again in some context, uh, but as far as him being alive around the the holiday season, Christmas 2015 was the end of the line for Tyrell Wellick. 
and yeah, I think it portrayed in a little bit of a, an unusual way, uh, a little bit more of an ethereal uh, send off for this character as opposed to some of the more definitive uh, grotesque ways in which characters have left the show, the more realistic ways that characters have left this show. Uh, and speaking with me, Sam Esmail uh, described his desire to like kind of find a way to send off Tyrell that felt in line with sort of like the more like alien oddity qualities of Tyrell Wellick. Uh, I believe that his quote, I don't have it directly in front of me, but I believe his quote was something to the effect of this is a guy who felt like he came from Pluto, yes. uh, that he does not feel like he is of this earth. So we had to send him back to Pluto basically. Uh, and so that's the, that's the kind of death that Tyrell gets. He gets to, he gets gut shot. He walks off into the woods and he walks towards those big, bright, flashing blue murder gloves in the sky. Uh, oh, is, that's what those were. That, that was the blue. <laughs> that was my. Uh, that was my interpretation. I'll um, stick with that as well. But look, I mean, uh, we could be proven wrong at some point down the line. I guess it is not impossible. Do we want to completely close the door to that? As far as our analysis goes, I'm pretty good with that. Uh, but you know, open to revisiting the subject should uh, future occurrences uh, sway us one way or the other. Right, and as you were indicating, no, nothing on this show has to be final in many ways. We've talked a ton about the possibilities the show has laid right in front of us in terms of timeline shifting or hacking time or alternate realities. There are those options that are out there. Your mileage may vary on whether or not the show will go there or whether or not the show will be successful if it does go there. But at least they are in the DNA of the show as a possibility. And so there's always that possibility, right? That we could reset something, press a button, something changes, and we have some replay or we have some people back that we didn't expect back. That's a thing we've talked a lot about. What we haven't talked about, though, um, coming into this was what we really thought we deserved or expected from Tyrell. And I think the interesting thing, if you look at what's happened with Angela and the, the discussion you had with Sam Esmail about that character uh, and the end of her journey on the show, uh, and them saying Sam saying it was the first scene on the board for season four, uh, it's almost surprising in a way. We, we have whether Tyrell was dead or whether Tyrell would die was such a hot topic of conversation from all of our early season two podcasts. Uh, it was the number one question on Elliot's mind. Mr. Robot lied to Elliot about whether this was true or not. Uh, even at that point in the show, it was questionable about how much more mileage there was for Tyrell as a character on the show. Um, he had served a purpose in that uh, he was so in his own head and so desirous of his individual goals that he really strayed off course in a violent and difficult way uh, in murdering Sharon Knowles. That put him in such a position that I think Elliot was able to work with him uh, and keep the honeypot server in play so that the 5-9 hack could be executed. After that, Tyrell has clearly had a role on the show, but it was, it was questionable whether he even had enough legs to last past the beginning or past the end of that first season. A lot of what we speculated about was, well, did they already know each other or how did they, you know, how much planning was Tyrell involved in with all of this? We have filled most of, if not all of those blanks in at this point without anything. There was one little moment in this, in this episode where Tyrell included the fact that, or acknowledged the fact that the first time they met was the first time we saw them meet on screen in the show. Other than that, those things have already been filled in. So how much more did we really need from this character? Where was this character really going? And I think in your opinion, maybe from the, the stuff we've talked about offline, a 
was this too good of a send-off for this character? <laughs> well, I mean, this is a man who is responsible for a lot of damage. And it's not like there are a lot of clean characters on Mr. Robot. Even Darlene, you know, has blood on her Dolly. hands. Dolly. Dolly. Yeah. Oh, my God. We haven't even gotten to our, into our jam sesh yet. You got jammed. Santa jams. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, even Darlene killed somebody, right? She killed Susan Jacobs. Uh, right. You know, Elliot had, uh, at the very least, he... he came up with the stage two plan some piece of him came up with the stage two plan and made it possible even if he tried to fight it made it possible for it to to go through he's got death on his on his conscience uh he's got a lot that he feels like he has to make up for he feels the deaths of trenton and mobley for example pretty pretty specifically he probably feels very guilty about angela even if he's not quite ready to admit it um and now tyrell who basically takes a bullet for for elliot for getting linked up into the into the elliot realm i'm sure that he does doesn't care quite as much uh, about Tyrell as it, as it pertains to the the other people that we have already uh, enumerated at this point. Um, so nobody is clean, but Tyrell carried out stage two uh, on a grand scale, uh, and Tyrell murdered Sharon Knowles on a rooftop. Uh, when they were going to be having, you know, an illicit affair, which is, you know, their right to do, but she doesn't deserved to get strangled to death for it. Uh, and Tyrell, even before he killed anybody, beat the shit out of that homeless person just because he needed to vent out some anger. And this guy just gets to go off into the blue light. And I think what's interesting to me uh, in, in kind of observing some of the reactions to losing Tyrell this way, it's like there's some people who are like really mad that that's it. That it's the end of the line and that anger from a lot of the fans that I'm observing or at least a segment of the fandom that I'm observing comes from a a place of like deep love, like abiding love for Tyrell Wellick. Uh, And to those people, I, I first say... Eh? <laughs> to, to them, uh-huh. uh, to them, I next say, uh, well, then like. This man was written off so much more peacefully than almost anybody else who has died on Mr. Robot. In fact, I think that he probably gets that title just off the top of my head. Except Romer- for maybe Magada. You know, like, rem- yeah, exactly. Like, she, she's probably the, the title holder as it stands. Um, Romero gets blasted in the head in his backyard. Yeah. Uh, and you assume that his mother probably has to find his body. Uh, Gideon in the face. Gideon in, like, the throat. In yeah. the throat in a bar uh, after Get he's... Get Princip. You know, uh, the, Trenton and Mobley were, yeah. were forced to, to shoot themselves. The Dark Army made our son shoot himself. Uh, Shayla got her throat slit and thrown into the back of a trunk. Sharon Knowles got choked out. Joanna Wellick got shot in the face. Cisco got mustard. Cisco got, got condiment bombed. (laughs) His head turned into ketchup, exploding ketchup. Sarah Wellick got shot in the gut, got to look his, the love of his life in the eye and say, I'm done Go defeat White Rose. I believe in you, buddy. I'm just going to go take a walk. Gets to go off into the woods on a walk to hide himself from being found so that Elliot still has some more time to keep working against the Dark Army. And he gets to crawl towards a blinking, glowing blue light and die. So if you are a huge Tyrell Wellick fan on a show that has already killed so many characters. and I His think wife. 
And I think by the by the by the pace of the final season so far, we have lost two essential characters, central figures in the Mr. Robot mythos within four episodes of this sprawling final season. You better be ready to lose more. Everybody is on the table as far as I'm concerned, and I expect that we will be walking away from this thing with uh, more people dead than alive, uh, still holding on some hope for the happy-ish ending. Um, but take it from take it from Antonio and I, as people who uh, viciously grieved and howled in, in agony at the death of Mobley, our son, during season three. If you're a huge Tyrell Wellick stan, again, eh, and B, you're lucky. He got off pretty easy. He did. He did. He got off pretty easy. Uh, so did DDP. But uh, this is this is not uh, this is not something where we. I uh, should have expected more, I guess, because you, there are those stands, right? There are the people in the audience who not only shipped Tyrell and Elliot as lovers, but maybe shipped them as the same person. Uh, they shipped Tyrell as having some greater part in the story when even Tyrell himself doubted his own ability to do that. Uh, people saw Tyrell as a god. Uh, other people saw him as a king. And I think at the end of the day, what we're seeing in some way is that maybe he's not that, that maybe he's a pawn in some way, uh, and that pawns don't become kings. We know that. Uh, and and Tyrell has to come to grips with that, does so in the context of this episode, expresses a lot of his own grief at his own lot in life, on his own position, and his own disdain. He shows a lot of his own insecurities. It is a dark night of the soul for so many people in, in these episodes, or in this, in this particular episode, and that's a spiritual path. And he's... His spiritual path found an ending, found the natural ending for him to take a bullet uh, for his beloved uh, and to be able to stagger off and not weigh him down anymore, uh, having unburdened his soul to him and found some level of acceptance. Uh, what more could you really ask for? It is a really nice send off for a person who not only killed 3,000 people, but in the he case of Sharon Knowles. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. Yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 he's an interior, interior decorator. decorator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I got a rock in my shoe. Uh, he killed Sharon Knowles during in the midst of a sexual assault, really? I mean, this is brutal. Like, this is a dude who, if you told us, as you were saying, like at the beginning of uh, the first season or at any point in the first season, like we would have this level of spiritual kindness for this character. I don't know that we would expect that. Uh, and yet here we are. He's a businessman. These are Ferragamo. That's our season two, Tyrell. Uh, we did get a ton more about him in season three, and we filled in a lot of those blanks. Also the same season where he's a terrorist. So, eh, as you're saying. Uh, but Martin Wallstrom, I think, should not be short-shrifted on this. It is his performance as this character, his ability to show more than just the one dimension of the cold robot slapping himself in the face uh, in episode three, I think, in season one. Uh, more uh, dimensionality than that throughout, so that this vulnerability that comes out when he's the whiniest person in the woods that night, uh, it is something that Martin Wallstrom should not be uh, short-shrifted on, as I'm saying because that, I think, is where a lot of the love for this character comes from. It, 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 of course, it comes from the writing. Of course, it comes from uh, what is being done with the character, but the writing has made this character a terrorist. The writing has made this character a sexual assaulter and a murderer. Uh, the actor has made that uh, be something that we don't immediately find odious in such a way, um, that we see humanity in, that we see weakness in, that we see some of ourselves in, uh, in terms of the just the insecurity that he has. Uh, and so... 
that's like, just a when, real when he says like in season one i was on a track right like when he's right. when he's fired by philip price at the end of the first season and his his house of cards is starting to fall apart and i think that we think about tyrell often uh and i think it's uh egg on our faces on on this where we think of him often as like this was a guy with a plan he had a master plan he was very dangerous because he was so cold and calculating uh, and cu- came off like a robot um but really when you think about the vast majority of Tyrell that we got on the show more often than not he was actually just like uh a very kind of like pathetic creature yes. who was flailing around trying yeah. to matter trying to mean something at the expense of other people um at the expense of his, his himself uh, was willing to to sell so much of his own soul for the things that he thought he wanted. And I think if I have uh, a lamentation on the departure of Tyrell Wellick, it's maybe that we lost him really quickly in the final season. We didn't get to spend a lot of time on him kind of like soaking in the reality that, sure, you're CTO now, but was this anything that you really truly wanted if it meant that your son was going to be shipped back to to Europe, that he's off in Denmark, that Joanna is dead and in the ground and you're CTO, but you're a puppet. Uh, yes, puppet, puppet, you're the puppet. Like, uh, we didn't, we, you know, we got to see him wallow in that to a certain degree. We got to see him wallow in it a lot in this episode. And I thought that it was great. I thought, I thought that he played it so excellently. Um, but would it have been nice to spend even more time with a man like this who has so much on his conscience, or at least should, uh, maybe deserves a more severe degree of karmic retribution, uh, potentially. Um, But this is also a show about very, very powerful people uh, and people who are so much more powerful than everybody else and the 99% versus the top 1% of the top 1%. And often in life, when those people get got... They get to golden parachute their way out of the situation, right? This is like a glowing blue parachute that Tyrell gets to take out of Mr. Robot. He gets like a relatively clean exit as far as these deaths go. Um, so maybe on that level, it's it's appropriate. Um, but I but I do find myself feeling as somebody who who really enjoyed the character, who really enjoyed the performance all across the way, um, but still maybe feeling like. There's a little bit of like lost bloodlust on the table uh, for maybe feeling that Tyrell deserved worse than he got. Um, and I know that that's not a take that everybody's going to agree with. But I but I almost feel like for for some of these people who who got done so dirty along the way here for Tyrell to, to really kind of get a, a buttoned up exit, you know, almost like dressed up in the, the fine uh, the fine fabrics that he wears. Uh, was uh, it was almost unfair, uh, but maybe that's Mr. Robot. Maybe that's what the show is about in, in some degree. Well, and oh, for the people that feel like it was too sudden, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that in many ways is what death is, right? Like it doesn't always happen in a convenient way that ties up a character or a person's story arc. Uh, it is a huge finality to most people's story arcs in a way most people don't often get the ability uh, to write their own ticket or to put themselves in a position like Tyrell where he makes a choice uh, to be in the woods with Elliot and he makes a choice to punch the guy in the face and he's in and he's loyal and that loyalty 
loyalty. Uh, he has one final chance here to show that loyalty uh, and to prove himself and to walk away. Uh, he, most people don't get that finality. So we may feel a little bit jaded because we didn't get more for the finality of the character. Uh, but I think that's pretty realistic on some level. And I think it'd be unrealistic for us to expect that it to be perfect, that it just to work out some special way um, that his death be some more significant thing. And it's, as, a, as a matter of fact, you were talking about the golden parachute situation. And I think it's fascinating to think about what he's always wanted uh, has been some ability uh, to be powerful, to be the, the biggest, the smartest, the richest. And a lot of what we're seeing from the last couple of seasons of Mr. Robot is you cannot you cannot get into that stratosphere. You can't just walk your way in. You can't even hack your way in. Uh, you cannot become that. It is not something that is easy for you to do. Uh, you can't undo any of that. You can't come at those people in a direct way. Uh, all of that is incredibly difficult for anyone to attain. What we saw from Tyrell was a rash pursuit of that uh, at great expense to everyone around him. Uh, so I actually think it, it is fitting that he's unable to ach- achieve that in much the same way that Elliot is. Tyrell, we know, was born poor, uh, and Tyrell has always wanted to not be part of that. Uh, but in many ways, uh, as he as the character articulates in this episode, it is his insecurity that has stood in the way of his ability to truly rise up. Uh, whatever Elliot's problems are, uh, they have prevented him ultimately uh, from truly being able to to take the powerful people down. Uh, he's not been able to see clearly. Uh, he's been misguided or he's been blinded by anger or all the problems we've seen Elliot deal with in the course of these three seasons. Tyrell has been on his own track fighting or to try to get in with those same people uh, to try to do some of the same things in many instances that Elliot is doing. Uh, and also failing. Uh, I think that failure and seeing how that failure truly directly manifests and seeing at the end of his life what actually mattered to Tyrell, I think that's important for Elliot to see. That's important for Elliot, the character. Uh, it is a is an, it is a great moment, I think, when we see Elliot accept that Tyrell uh, really cares about him and that that's important. That it's important at the end of the day, uh, even if this is a person where you didn't care for them uh, through through and through, or you were motivated by something else when they were motivated about caring for you, uh, maybe the fact that they've cared for you and they've been loyal to you throughout this is something that you just can't turn your nose up at. And there's something that that's worth discussing and it's worth leveling on a human level. And that's growth for Elliot. Uh, it's not Mr. Robot doing that. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not. And that's Elliot doing it. And that's Elliot doing it after Mr. Robot has tried and. Failed failed to persuade uh, Tyrell on some base level, and Elliot has screamed at Tyrell. Elliot comes back and does that. And I think from a thematic standpoint, a lot of that is really valuable. And I don't know that it happens if Tyrell doesn't do what Tyrell does here. Yeah. And and Sam Asmail also talked about how, in his view, Tyrell was always at his most interesting as he related to Elliot. Um, right. And how how he worked almost as like a seasoning on the Elliot story uh, better than he ever worked when it was just his story on his own. I think I agree with that. And, and I, I think like, look, w- one of the things that's really compelling about this from a forward momentum plot standpoint, I think we should talk about this. You know, we can talk about it now or we can we can sidebar from here. But in, in episode three, in 403, we find out from White Rose that, all right, if I'm being conned, if there is a game afoot, then like if Philip Price is, is coming after me, if Elliot is working on, on a thing, then let me summon the Illuminati right now. Let me get the Davis group together on Christmas and let's have the vote uh, and let's 
you know, bring in a new CEO and I've got somebody in mind. It's Tyrell Wellick. So you're primed to think, oh, crap. OK, I'm starting to see how this coalesces. Like you're, you, you can already like visualize in your head the Illuminati episode of Mr. Robot. Now you can you can visualize it a little differently. Right. Where before like you imagined like Tyrell with like maybe like an earpiece or something, you know, having to communicate with Elliot or working on behalf of Elliot, having some sort of Ocean's Eleven type of meeting with Philip Price and with Elliot and coming up with their plan and how are they going to do all of this. Tyrell's out of the picture now. Uh, and he was the person who was going to who was going to get the nod to take over E-Corp. He was a day away from being the CEO, the CEO of E-Corp, which would have been a huge to-do. It would have been absolutely crazy, and now that's off the table, and that adds an insane layer of tension to the proceedings right now. Of course. You yeah, know? of course. Like, yeah, how are we going to deal with this? Right. Uh, like, you know, the, if, the, if the plan is Price has found a way to get the Davis group together in a room, but it's happening so much faster than anyone anticipated, and now Tyrell Wellick isn't going to show up to be anointed CEO how is this going to play out? So it's it's got us in a in a place that I think is really exciting and unexpected, uh, and and very very tense moving forward. It also just the timing of that. It, it it's significant. I think that Tyrell, as you've articulated, didn't really deserve to grasp that brass ring, no matter uh, how it was attained, and no matter how pyrrhic it may have been, uh, and there may have been some mileage in that karmic uh, upbringing or that karmic upending. Uh, he didn't deserve it. Like he didn't deserve to grab that brass ring and to get it that way uh he maybe he did deserve what he got uh when he was so frustrated about becoming cto and he he found it in such a way that the dramatic irony was writ large about how it was never what he wanted and it was a it was a real monkey's paw situation for him uh to get it at the cost of what it what it cost him uh but this ceo thing it just it makes sense that he would die on the steps uh trying to get into the courthouse to you know to to declare his victory. Uh, it makes sense that he wouldn't get the final chance to really stand high as the CEO. Uh, and it makes sense, I think, that we're not going to see a caper with Elliot and Tyrell over the course of this final season. Uh, I think it's frustrating for some when the ending is a little bit more critical like that, uh, or we're in a position where it doesn't fit with a nice little bow around it, uh, and it isn't something that can be easily digested, that it is more open-ended, that people have to take it in terms of their own interpretation, or they have to think about thematically whether it makes sense or not, that it's deeper than that. I understand the frustration with that. And I'm sure I've been guilty on this podcast of being frustrated uh, when there are times when things don't make sense in that way. Uh, for me, this bittersweet, just bleak, uh, heart-wrenching situation here. Not only uh, is, it, is it perfect uh, for Tyrell, in my opinion, it's perfect for Christmas Eve. In a way that I think if no, if you've never been lonely around Christmas Eve or you've never been up late and everyone else is asleep, uh, and you've never really kind of had the, that dark night of the soul or examined your own life, uh, had those moments of self contemplation. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this episode really got at whatever that feeling is, uh, that, that occurs around the holidays for so many people. And that so many of us have felt from time to time. And it, this episode was just so beautifully drawn, 
in that zone. Uh, the, the Tyrell's death being part of that makes a lot of sense. Never mind leaving leaving aside the the birth and rebirth of it all. Le- leaving aside the fact that he died literally on Christmas, uh, and there's so much to play with there. Uh, just the, the the emotion of the season that this episode captured, the way it was shot, the music, uh, the moonlight. It was just so perfect, in my opinion. I completely agree. And uh, you know, we're we're recording this later than we normally do, so we're getting a chance to see a little bit more of the reaction to the episode. And I was really, really surprised uh, at some of the reaction. Uh, you know, there's some people who who seem to really loved and appreciate the episode, and then there's like a, a a contingent of people who aren't just like frustrated about um about like the death of Tyrell, but like have outright said like this is the worst episode of Mr. Robot ever. That's a really surprising reaction to me, and very far away from where I come down on this, uh, where I come down on 404 Not Found as uh, a candidate for best episode ever, uh, for for all the reasons that you just described. Uh, I know I'm Jewish, but what you may not know about me is that my mother is not. Uh, and so <laughs> I don't like your tone, sir. <laughs> so I I grew up with Christmas in my family, and and I and I know that uh, that that sensation that you just described, what it's like to be up alone on on. Christmas Eve and and uh, like have that next day mean a lot to you and no one else is awake and it just feels like the year is ending and the darkness is here and uh, you're you can't help but kind of like looking into into the mirror and and really study what's what's looking back at you and, and thinking about uh you know some 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 degree of like crushing loneliness uh, I've definitely been there before and I really felt that in this episode. To the point that again, I, I think that it, you know credit to the writing for sure, uh, but mostly credit to, to Esmail as a director in this episode uh, and and Martin Wallstrom's performance as Tyrell. The way that like as they're inching closer and closer to the howling off in the distance, this increasingly sad, um, you know, uh, almost childish quality to Tyrell of like. I, I know it's coming. I know I'm about to unwrap the the gift underneath the tree and it's just going to blow up in my face. Uh, we're, we're doomed. There's nothing good wherever we're walking toward. Uh, and then to see like how that juxtaposes with what he's like when he meets that fate, when, when he gets to the end of the line and realizes that he can own this in a, in a, in a way that he can make this his, uh, a, again, he's, very lucky that he gets to do that in the space of Mr. Robot, but be like massive, massive props to the show for making me feel so deeply for that character in that moment, uh, who we've certainly talked about it before on the podcast in season three, right? Of like, can we ever redeem Tyrell Wellick for this? Like, is Tyrell Wellick ever going to be somebody that like we can feel good about again after stage two went into effect? Uh, after um, you know, season three, episode six, uh, is this something that we'll ever be able to walk away feeling anywhere in the realm of okay about Tyrell? Uh, and I would say redemption was always off the table for me, but I walk away from this episode uh, on my own long walk uh, into into feeling like okay for about the character and and feeling um, feeling like his life did have some level of value, but more than that, just feeling like. It was it was so beautifully crafted. And I and I think like you say, the way that it advances Elliot as a human being is profound. Uh the way that he looks off at Tyrell, and I think what at the end, and I think what he's seeing there when he says, I can't let you go, is he is seeing like I can't let go of somebody who who has done so much 
on my behalf that I never got a chance to like look in the eye and really recognize. And now this person is gone and is going specifically so that I can still have a chance to keep fighting at this thing. And I've only just acknowledged that I maybe kind of appreciate that. I think that's going to be something that sticks with Elliot for a little while. Um, but I, 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 I think about, uh, some of the images from this episode. I think about the moon hanging in the trees. I think about the three of them, Robot, Elliot, Tyrell, walking through the forest. I think about Tyrell singing his Swedish Christmas songs. Uh, I think about them on the side of the road. I think about that stop and shop. I think about the fact that Tyrell was on Big Brother. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> I think about all no this. Big Brother in the Mister Robot Zone. And and I I think about a storyline we haven't even talked about yet, and I'd be down to start talking about it here if you want. Everything with with Darlene and Tobias, uh, the the councilman jam of it all, Santa Jam, uh, was such a great B plot to this episode uh, that I really loved this one. I don't know. I think. I think if you're here in the final season, and we've been here before, certainly with a lot of dramas of here we are, we're in the final season, time to pay up. Give me my answers. It's it's go time. Give me that information that I've been sticking around here all this while for. Have we not been so viciously burned uh, by that level of thinking in the past that who, why are we why are we repeating that? Um, and I'm certainly guilty of it. I'm not saying that I'm not. Uh, and there are certain things that I feel like Mr. Robot has to accomplish for me to feel really good about it as a final season. And it is not in that space quite yet. Um, but I am at a place where I am feeling like answer mode, such as it exists, such as it will exist on a show like Mr. Robot, probably is still a ways away. And we're here in this pretty long final season, you know, 12, 13 hours, whatever it is, uh, that's going to span a pretty short period of time. And you're wondering how it's going to span a short period of time. Well, we've got a little bit of a sense of that. We're getting these slices of life. We're getting to, uh, and these, and these slices of death as, as it were. And we're getting, to, you know, we're getting to spend time with these characters as we're never going to get to spend time with them again. This story was constructed as a feature film originally. There are big picture ideas in place, but I think that those things are not going to be resolved until we're very, very close to the end game, if not directly in the belly of the end game. So if you're not good with that, and if you're not going to be able to appreciate you know, a pace that can sometimes be meandering, that can sometimes stop down and drill deeper into character uh, and focus more on that and focus more on, on you know, the cinematic quality of Mr. Robot, focusing down on how this show just looks so amazing and how it sounds so good um, and how it's just filmed so freaking well. Then I don't know. I think that you may be in disappointment uh, territory for the final season of Mr. Robot. Well, and you said we've been here before and you started you're talking about with other dramas, but we've been here before in terms of disappointment with Mr. Robot uh, and people being frustrated, uh, feeling like they need a breakneck pace uh, and speed in season two uh, and not getting answers in season two and people being frustrated in season two. And you look back at some of the episodes in season two and some of the sequences and some of the moments and the acting and Matt Quayle's scoring, just everything that goes on in those episodes. And it's like, what were you upset about? Like, there is not a more finely crafted show uh, in terms of the way that it's directed. What what are we what are we really angry about here? And I think it's just that the first season was so spectacular in a certain type of way, uh, and people expect that uh, to be the case. But what's really funny is 
So this final season, when I talk about a breakneck pace, of course, it occurs over the course of a few days. Well, there's 13 episodes. So if you're going to do 13 episodes over the course of a few days and you're not going to stop down and really spend time with the characters and really have these moments, we've not seen an Elliot and Tyrell episode like this. If we're not going to do that. Uh, then then what are we going to do for 13 episodes that occur over a few days? And now I understand that's their creative choice to do the season that way and that they could have written this any number of ways. Uh, but I think it's easy enough to sit in the moment and appreciate the craft of each episode and the moments for the characters, and knowing that we've got a breakneck pace coming and not every episode can be a million miles an hour. Uh, I really appreciate the deep breaths that we took in this episode. I really appreciate, like I said, the tone that was struck throughout uh, I thought it was really just fantastically done. And I understand that if you had something specific that you were invested in with Tyrell, uh, that you might be let down in this way. And I do expect that we're going to get major plot answers. We're not going to get a frustrating uh, final season of Mr. Robot. I know that they will deliver. I know that Sam Espinel The answers may be frustrating for people. That's we'll totally possible. Well, that's always the case, right? <laughs> right like yeah. That's always the case because everybody's invested in their own pet theories about you know parallel universes or right. uh, why is the calendar one day? off or or it's know, us right like, like the other right, one yeah. is us and or that's you that's right, you right exactly. it's us 100%. right exactly uh, and you may not be frustrated but just appreciate what what's going on here uh, i think and if you're unable to do that i feel bad because i it, it was just spectacular to me uh and i thought certainly the best episode of the final season so far uh and as you said in contention for one of the best episodes of the series uh if they're sitting down and, and they're crafting this and they're saying you know we really don't see a role for Tyrell in the end of this story. Uh, it's funny because people are like, well, they took Angela off the board with, with no real fanfare. Uh, she just, you know, she got one scene at the beginning of the episode and then kaput. And then we have a whole episode of fanfare for Tyrell and that isn't enough. So I don't know what it, it's, it, I think that shows how difficult the, the thread and the needle situation is here and how difficult that the needle is to thread uh, because people aren't going to be happy if you don't give it something. And if you give it too much, people will be unhappy that you took too long or that you did. I mean, maybe people are unhappy that it happened at all. Uh, but I think that just this Christmas Eve episode, uh, just outstanding. Uh, I really, really, and I feel bad if, uh, if others don't feel that way because I, I, I wish others could feel as impacted by what I watched as, as I was. Yeah. I know there's going to be the course of people being like, oh, you guys are shills for the robot. Uh, you got to blah, blah, blah. Well, whatever. You know, we like the show. We're happy with it. And I'm sorry if you're not. I quite liked it. I was yeah, and I mean, look, I I'll say I didn't. I maybe I didn't feel as good about the DDP storyline in this episode, and I don't always feel great when the show uh, makes a big bold choice. I, I looking back when I rewatched the show, I everything with Joanna Wellick, I thought, well, this she's. The, the performance is great. Uh, it was really interesting, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about her motivations because I know ultimately what happens with this character and it's random and it's sad and it sucks. And it's just, it just happens in the middle of a season. I'm not going to spend a lot of time rewatching and wondering why she's speaking to Elliot in a different language or whether or not she knew him or why she was paying off the attendant. Like who was she carrying water for? It, I don't expect that I'm going to get some resolution on that and I'm okay with it. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm happy 
happy about it. And that doesn't mean there haven't been things with this show that I've found personally frustrating. Like I said, the DDP storyline in this episode, I could take or leave. Uh, we'll talk about one significant aspect of that that I think is interesting for the overall story. Uh, but it was just a moment in time for DDP. And I think I already knew that she was where she is in terms of being in her own head about being upset about everything that's going on with her. So I, that wasn't as, as, as significant for me as the stuff with Darlene uh, and uh, and what was his name? Uh, what was Tobias. what was Jam's name? Tobias. Tobias yes. yes, that's why he wore the Santa outfit the whole time. He had the cutoffs on underneath. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and yeah, and he blew himself uh, just like Doctor Manhattan. Uh, I, I so I'm feeling you know I feel very good about those two things. The C story, eh. the DDP C story, not so much. Uh, well, let's talk about Darlene. Let's get into that um, because Darlene begins the episode by leaving copious amounts of voice messages for Elliot that are very colorful. Uh, she has some important news that I feel like is is glossed over in the greater like tone and developments of the episode. But apparently, they are like the the access they got from Olivia Cortez is not enough, right? Like they they need to actually actively break in to virtual realty and get onto their servers. Uh, and they got to do it soon because right now it's Christmas. Security is lax. Uh, and that seems like that's not a nothing deal. On top of everything else that they've got going on, they're going to have to physically break into this place that she's standing outside of as she's making this call. Um, but she's calling Elliot and just ripping his head off. F you, you're effing selfish. Uh, just like being awful. And she like, says, like, I wouldn't be so mad if you hanged yourself and died. In fact, that would be cool. And then she re-records the message. So this is the headspace we're in with Darlene at the start of this episode as she goes on like her own little vision quest to upstate New York. We've always been warning people, by the way, that bad things happen in upstate New York, Antonio. We're not, we're not going to. Why, why did you bring that, that howl up? of death? Why did you bring that up? Uh, yeah, bad things happen there. Great, great things happen on the block where Darlene is. Uh, I'm proud that I recognize the New York City block, Josh. Uh, that's the block where the McKittrick Hotel, home of the fantastic live uh, immersive theater production Sleep No More is. Uh, and I will shamefully admit that I recognize that because uh, there's uh, like a notable strip club where a lot of athletes uh, are, you know, have been in trouble over the years across the road. I've not been there, uh, but I have been to Sleep No More many times. Uh, and so I knew that block right away and I said, wow, Sleep No More if you're not familiar it's a retelling of Macbeth but there are no words and you follow the actors throughout a five story uh, set essentially uh, that's at this hotel it's set in like the the jazz age uh, and the actors are performing a story of the version or a version of the story of Macbeth uh, through interpretive actions through physicality uh, through props uh, they restage a lot of the famous scenes and it's phenomenal I think it's a, just a really cool idea and it's executed really really well uh, and you can have a very different experience depending on what actors you follow uh, than, than your friends do. Uh, it's highly recommended by me by anyone for anyone who's in the New York City area or who ends up there. Uh, but that it's so disorienting and such an unusual experience. Uh, I'm sure they didn't pick the block for that reason. Uh, but the fact that it was that block, it really set me in a, in a particular kind of mindset for this, such that like it was really weird to me that the way the scene was edited uh, when Darlene is getting multiple leaving multiple phone messages from Elliot. She's standing in the middle of the road. A car's bearing down on her. She's flipping the car off. And all of a sudden, there's like a jump cut and she's standing on the side of the road. And I thought, what, what's going on here? Uh, so I was all inside my own head just with what's happening with Darlene. But you're right. I think the key piece of information here is that 
they have to break into that building that's right there. So hopefully we're going to see some more action on that particular block. I think that'll be really, really cool uh, to see another caper, a Mr. Robot-style caper uh, we've seen in the past uh, that be executed so well. I, I, I can't wait to see exactly how this plays out. And presumably it's going to happen relatively quickly. It's Christmas. Yeah. It's going to happen on Christmas. Christmas the security's Christmas. down. The meeting's about to happen. I would imagine we're going to get into this this caper breaking into the building next episode yeah. or the one immediately following it. Yeah, pretty pretty soon, I would expect as well. Um, but Darlene is she's you know eventually going to be so worried about Elliot that she'll go to Elliot's apartment. She'll see he's not there. She'll see this, the the handwritten note. They're listening, uh, and she's going to start freaking out. She's going to be able to track his cell phone to to the general area of where he is, Pike's Hollow. Uh, not Pine Barrens, even though I know lots of lots of Pine Barrens uh, feeling parallels, at least the idea of people lost in the woods uh, in a in a wintry wood searching for somebody who should by all rights be dead, but is not feels very of a certain Sopranos era. Um, but Darlene is going to go. She's going to break into this guy's car. Uh, although it's not actually his car, <laughs> and she is going to be confronted by Santa Tobias, this man Tobias, played by John Glazer, a uh, great comedian, uh, certainly memorable as Jeremy Jam in Parks and Rec, had an important role on Girls. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, and here he is stepping into like a much more serious sort of somber role, but it's kind of like what you're projecting that onto him via Darlene. Uh, where you get the sense that this is a man who's at the end of his rope, that he's at the end of his line. He's very, very viciously drunk. It appears that he's like popping painkillers. It, it, it sounds like his his wife has been in a horrible accident, and that's why she doesn't come with him to to do the Santa Claus thing at the children's hospital for for kids who have cancer. And Darlene is starting to feel really horrible about him. And he's like quoting what she doesn't know at the time. She thinks that she's talking about his friend Jimmy. Who <laughs> contemplated uh, taking his own life and and uh, doesn't know that he's quoting Steinbeck uh, and thinks that this man is considering doing something harmful to himself and it causes Darlene to ultimately act like a human being when she drops this man off at his house only for him to be like what are you talking about I'm just drunk <laughs> like, like my life is fine I'm drunk and this isn't my car by the way uh, and it ends up being in the same way that Tyrell kind of holds up a mirror to Elliot in this episode think that uh, Santa Tobias ends up holding up a mirror to Darlene as well uh, where she has to confront the idea that actually she's Definitely. not doing so well yeah, definitely. And you said, you know, we're projecting, there's a lot of projecting going on here. And it, that's made clear to even the drunk of Tobias, uh, even cutting through the fog, the fog cutter that he's been consuming. Uh, it's very clear to him that she's projecting her own insecurity, her own fear, uh, her own uh, just emotion about the season and about what's going on in her life. Uh, he basically says, like, are you sure? Like, do you really, you know, you do you need to talk? Is everything OK with you? Uh, because she, I think as an audience, I think the part of the reason why this works is because we are aligned with Darlene as a character anyway, because we feel for her and the performance is there. Uh, and it's so good, uh, from Carly Chaikin, but 
I think another reason why it works is we as an audience, I think, read a lot of the same signs. At least I did. Uh, and maybe that says more about me, but at least I read a lot of the same signs onto Tobias. Um, when he was talking about Jimmy, uh, I heard him talking about Jimmy, but uh, when he said he, you know, has you outside at night uh, contemplating how the world would be without you in it. Uh, and I didn't think the accident meant his wife died. I didn't read that into it. Uh, but when he had the Percocet, I thought I didn't think he was carrying those pills home for his wife. Uh, he held them in the same hand that he held the alcohol. I was thinking the same things Darlene was. He was very morose, uh, and he was talking about how seeing the children with cancer uh, made him feel like uh, they were just born to die. That's such a dark thought on Christmas Eve. Uh, and to find him the way that she found him, I thought the same thing. So because I thought the same things, uh, when it came time to reverse that mirror, it wasn't just being held to Darlene, it was being held to me. Uh, and it was so effective for that reason, at least in my opinion. And so much of the credit there goes to the John Glazer performance, but it also goes to everything that Carly was doing. It goes to everything, um, to how the scenes were staged, uh, the lighting, uh, just the relation between the characters. And a lot of it played for comedy. And it's really funny at the end when he when he goes on that rant, he says, read a book. Uh-huh. You know. <laughs> <laughs> great. Very, very, very funny. That's why you have a comedian do it. But comedians, the best ones understand pathos as well, right? So they understand um, this fine line, this this close like Venn overlap between all these emotions that can produce great laughter and great comedy, but it can only do so because it's so close to other areas uh, that are emotional or that are deep or that touch on these things. Uh, so that performance, I think, is a huge part of why, yes, he's able to be belly laugh funny, uh, but he's also able to be a little bit uh, depressing to the point that you believe it and you buy it. And because you buy it, uh, when the mirror gets flipped, it, it's a lot more powerful. So yeah. I really think it was just really well executed across the board for sure. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what's great about it because like you, you see him and if you if you know him from other contexts, you're like, oh, God, Jam, Jam's in Mr. Yep. Robot. Uh, and then like he's he's kind of funny in that first scene where he's like, I got I got two questions for you. One, do you know where my keys are? And she's like, I don't know your keys are. He's like, all right, well, two, actually, that was the only question. Oh, wait, here's another one. Can you hotwire my car? Like, you know, he's like say, he's saying things that are that are very funny, but he's already carrying himself in a way where he's slurring his words and you just don't quite know yet where he's going but you're trained to think that this is going to be a funny character and then you get on that car ride and you're surprised and ambushed by the fact that this man who is typically associated with comedy is spouting out this stuff that seems very very dark especially juxtaposed against what's going on with Elliot and Tyrell Uh, and so by the time that you get to his house and you realize that the punchline is that no he's fine he's just wasted (laughs) It's it it really does land. Yeah, he's happily married. His wife is waiting for him when he yeah, gets home. Yeah. His fine this character's like final line is ho 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 Santa's home as he waltzes into his wife's loving embrace at yes, his like incredibly dressed up Christmas house, his little Christmas palace. Uh so it it, it sucker punches you with the comedy, but then that that makes it uh when he comes back to Darlene at the end saying, I know you're worried about your brother, but you gotta worry about you too. I hope he's not dead, Mary Christmas. Christmas lands with some warmth uh, and Darlene is in this very very dark place as she articulates she talks about how she's lost everybody her boyfriend her best friend her parents all she's got left is her brother and he's an a-hole who treats her like crap uh, but she's worried about him and worried about him in a different way right now where this time could be different this time he might be dead she is really uh, bearing her soul to this person and we have 
seen a lot of those private moments, uh, but we have not seen them really articulated publicly to another human being in this kind of a vulnerable way. Uh, And here she is doing that. And what she gets out of that in turn is at first a little bit of a cold response of okay uh, from from Santa Tobias. (laughs) Very funny. Which is very funny. And then she goes back to the car and then he comes back and gives her like the closest thing to a hug she's gotten in months, right? Like gives her like, gives her some like actual warmth and like some actual like good sound advice and says like, worry about your brother for sure, but worry about yourself also. Uh, And so Darlene is another character who progresses as a human being in this episode in a really important way. Um, And I, I hope that we never lose like sardonic Darlene. And I cannot imagine that we ever do. This is always going to be somebody who comes equipped with some, you know, measure of bleakness to her worldview, because it's not going to be Darlene Alderson otherwise. Um, But it, it, I, I hope that it's maybe like a shot in the arm that, that, she needs to to reconnect her with her humanity to a little bit uh, of an extent and remind her what she's here for and what she's fighting for and that she's got to be worrying about herself as well and not in that same way of like uh, I've been caught by the FBI so I got to work with the FBI sort of self-interest but more of like her her own like self-interest as far as her self-worth. I think that that would be a very new layer to Darlene uh, a layer that we have not seen from this person before. Definitely. And, and for, for it to come at a very opportune time uh, is significant. That it is at this moment when Elliot probably needs her more than he's ever needed her. And for it to happen in light of, I mean, not even mentioned here was her mother dying, right? Like not even mentioned was what she's been through with Angela. But everything that's happened with Darlene in the last bit of her life, uh, she lost Cisco, I don't know how many months ago. At this point, Josh, it, it wasn't even a year, I don't think. So no, not at all. it's been a very rough year for this person uh, and for her to be at the end of her rope uh, and to be able to articulate this to a stranger is significant. But the other thing is, it was so important that she showed concern for him. Uh, that she told Elliot, I don't even care if you die. This is her brother, the only person that she really has in this world. In fact, I would prefer it if you were dead. And yet this complete stranger, uh, she feels motivated to to intercede. She feels motivated to hop out of that car. She feels motivated uh, to tell him like, your your wife is dead. And his response, my wife is dead? Like, he was, like, <laughs> yeah. he thought like, just for a second, uh, yeah. the, the great John Glazer, uh, just such a great moment where he, just for a second, he contemplated that it might be true like what does she know what does this girl know that i don't what does dolly know that i don't uh it was great and for her to be in that position where she is not only uh willing to unburden her own soul uh but to be caring for someone else in that moment i think very significant for darlene i don't know what dividends that will pay for her in terms of whether we'll see a uh, darlene who is more with it a darlene who is more caring i i in, in some ways that might be very dangerous uh and that might put her in their and their plans in a very difficult position. Uh, Same for Elliot, of course, because Elliot goes through a lot of the same stuff. His motivation made clear to Tyrell is I want to look out for my sister. So as she's cursing his name and and then and then later admitting that she's so worried about him, uh, he's been the way he's been to her and is also admitting uh, and uh, unbearing his own soul or unburdening his own soul to someone else and saying the same thing. Like, I'm worried about my sister. So um, these two coming back together, having crossed that bridge and realized or come to that epiphany where they they were able to speak it out loud to someone else could have significant 
uh, impact on the actual narrative of the show and not just thematically with their characters. Uh, so it was a very important episode on those levels for sure. Uh, and just one that was so well executed, as I keep saying, uh, that I, I just can't keep, can't stop thinking about it. I mean, I really can't. Yeah, and I I think for for me that was part of its power uh, was this idea of Elliot and Darlene who so often are disconnected from other people uh, as a safety mechanism as a defense mechanism uh, that they'll burn it you know they'll burn their whole systems down and wipe their systems clean before they expose vulnerability in this episode both exposed vulnerability and I think Darlene more profoundly to me than Elliot um, but they both exposed vulnerability had to weather some awkwardness as a result. Result certainly in the case of uh, of, of Darlene uh, with uh, with with confronting Tobias and finding out that all the things she was worried about <laughs> weren't worth being worried about. Um, but what do they get for taking that risk uh, of exposing some vulnerability? At, at the worst, they get an awkward moment, and then at the best, they receive uh, a modicum of of kindness uh, in response. With Tyrell opting to make this great, great sacrifice of himself so that Elliot can con- con- continue on with the mission, and Dom being treated like a human—not Dom, Darlene—treating be, being treated like a human being um, for the first time in so long. Um, so I thought that that was really, really great. Just as far as like a message of of this show and. I think a lot of the reads from this episode is that the howl of death is looming in the distance and Mr. Robot is going to have a very, very bleak destination. Uh, and this is going to end really horribly for everybody. Uh, and uh, even Tyrell says that, right? Like he says, all signs lead to the same hopeless destination. And the sooner you realize that, the better for you're so much in your own head that you can't see the truth that it's over. Uh, and is that a meta comment as well to like the, the Mr. Robot viewing community of like, brace yourself for disaster because people are dropping like flies here and it's not going to stop and it is going to be very dark before it ever gets brighter. I think that there's definitely truth to that. Uh, I think that we are going to lose more characters that we enjoy watching. Like Philip Price is not walking away from this show. No doubt. No chance. Absolutely no way. Uh, Darlene is at risk. Dom is at risk. Even Elliot is at risk in the long run here. Um, but the the but the, I I didn't get lost in hopelessness. Even if that was Tyrell's like basically his dying advice of like we're going towards the howl of death, you idiot. Like you should know that that is what you're going to. And the sooner you make peace with that, the better you're going to be. I'm not ready to make peace with that. I walked away from this episode feeling fairly hopeful, actually, uh, because of those interactions, because of that kindness that was expressed. Uh, and even though it was an episode that was uh, the darkness of the soul being explored, as you say, uh, and even though it was a, uh, an episode that was cloaked in night, uh, and even though a main character died that character died with some level of agency over his death a measure of peace over his demise some acceptance some self-acceptance whether or not it's earned is you know a full other conversation that we've already had um but i but i think that there is there is a blue glowing light somewhere out there and i don't think that it necessarily just means universal death like i still feel like um at the end of it when we get to the end of the line on this show and maybe I'm setting myself up to be brutally torn to bits, but I think that it's going to end with some measure of peace. I hope you're right. Uh, and 
measure of peace can mean a lot. So of course, you have to be very absolutely. careful because Tyrell found his measure of peace here. And he, he complained about not find, not having it. He said, uh, have you ever gone? You know, don't you ever want to just go and, and go away and get some rest? You know, find, feel, feel better. I think about that. Find some peace is the exact three word phrase that he uses sounding like a dead man before the hellhound uh, has ever made him feel that way. Uh, and so he does find his own peace. So we have to be very careful with that. Uh, but the, the whole episode is about that search, a robot's monologue is about that search. He says, you search, you find, all's well, but what if you search and you don't find? Eventually, you got to give up, right? The thing you were searching for, what becomes of it? How could you ever know? I thought his voiceover was incredibly interesting in this episode because he then later says, he only has two, he later says something to the effect of, seems like we're always thinking of ourselves when looking for something that's lost, but we never think much about the lost. I think about the lost all the time. Yeah, you think about it at least three hours a week uh, and probably double that uh, just to prepare for your three hours a week. Uh, Mr. Robot says, we never think much about the lost, uh, whatever whoever is trying to be found, whether it's a set of keys left somewhere and forgotten, a couple of guys wandering aimlessly in the woods, cut to Mr. Robot and Tyrell sitting on the bench, and then, or a guy who has disappeared inside himself, cut to Elliot. What if it's, what if it's that uh, what what if that's what they wanted all along not to be found? And I think that is what we're breaking through with Elliot and Darlene is whether or not they want to be found, they're able to be found. And so I think your piece could come in some moment like that. Uh, and I do think White Rose will be taken off the board as we talked about. I do think Elliot and Darlene will be successful in undoing some of what White Rose is doing. Uh, whether White Rose will try to execute her project before she does that uh, and die doing it, I don't know. Um, but I think there's a possibility for everyone in the show to find some peace that they're seeking uh, because they're all restless in some type of way. So I'm definitely tracking that. And on that voice, that voiceover, I'm also tracking something else. Uh, you, if, is it okay if I get into this a little bit here? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So when Mr. Robot is talking about things that, uh, you know, the lost, uh, whatever, whoever is trying to be found, whether it's a set of keys left somewhere and forgotten, he says a guy who has disappeared inside himself and the camera cuts to Elliot. And for me, at least, if you want to go into the meta of the show or you want to go into the larger theories of the show, uh, this episode was pretty light on that. Uh, but I think this individual moment uh, maybe perhaps illuminates a little bit about the other uh, and the other guy. A lot of what Elliot's going through here in this episode, as we're talking about, is his inability uh, to be whatever it is, to be vulnerable, to let other people in, to recognize uh, letting people in. That was the same way with Olivia last episode, right? Where the key story was that Elliot was able to let her in a little bit and he was able to recognize something. If you're tracking that as a journey that the Elliot character has been on this season, then where this could could end, at least in some way, is something we've talked about on the podcast already, and that is with the other guy being the, the real Elliot, being the Elliot uh, who we have not really met yet. We've met an Elliot who is burdened by uh, a lot, burdened by drug addiction, burdened by the inability to even remember his father, to, to, to even remember his sister, uh, as Elliot is able to knock down these doors and to knock down these walls. And it's not just talking to Mr. Robot and listening to Mr. Robot. It's becoming Mr. Robot on some level. It's not just understanding that Mr. Robot is in him, but that he's in Mr. Robot. It's therefore 
sure that Mr. Robot is able to go be the compassionate one, uh, to try to soft-pedal Darlene, to try to soft-pedal Tyrell, uh, that Elliot is expressing a lot of his Mr. Robot-like rage as he's knocking down these doors and these walls. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe what we're going to find is that person that is lost within himself, that has disappeared inside himself. What reemerges from Elliot as he knocks down all these walls could be the true Elliot that we have not met. And that could be the other guy, uh, as we've talked about a little bit. When we talked about, for example, how is it that the Elliot that we know didn't remember Mr. Robot and Darlene? And is that something to do with who this other guy is? If you're right. talking about something that's been present from the beginning of the show, I think you have to acknowledge the fact that maybe the Elliot that we've known from the beginning of the show is not the true Elliot and that the true Elliot may be yet to emerge. And it would fit with a lot of this self-discovery that we're seeing, including a significant amount of it in this episode. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm, st- I'm still kind of much like Elliot and Tyrell, uh, a little lost in the woods on where we're going with all of that. Um, maybe feeling a little bit less confident in the it's us uh, theory than I have in the past. Um, though I still think that like the idea of like breaking through a connection to us would um would would qualify for for the grander reveal. Um, but those monologues, as they pertain to the fact that there is something else lurking within Elliot that remains unacknowledged, that doesn't want to be found, uh, I think is is very clearly designed to be evoking these types of questions in us. Uh, you know, with with last week's episode, we didn't really get a ton of uh, fodder uh, for for the development that came at the end of episode two. Um, I think that it's it would be ridiculous for uh, the the brain trust behind Mr. Robot to think that we're not still deeply perplexed by that question and thinking about that question endlessly at this point uh, of where we are in the final season. Um, so I think that this this monologue that that Mr. Robot delivers here. Uh, this idea about uh, being so lost inside of yourself that you've disappeared. Uh, what if that that disappearance is intentional? What if that's what they want is to not be found is very deliberately designed to get us talking about this exact subject of who is the other one again. Right. And and if it's somebody that doesn't want to be found, that makes some sense uh, that we haven't really seen how that emerges. But if it's somebody that doesn't want to be found and it, and it's it's like that and it's been present from the beginning of the show, it almost has to be something. I mean, obviously, it's going to be something tied to Elliot because it's one of his other uh, personas or it's represented in some way that it's him. I don't know that it's going to be a prison like reveal where we pull the curtain back and we see a different reality than we've been seeing. It might be, uh, but I think it's far more likely that it's going to be something more subtle. Uh, although I, I'm still, you know, I still have one foot in the camp like you're talking about with the it's it's us camp uh, where you've got the surreal 2001 like ending uh, and you've got a man uh, seeing himself uh, in various stages of his life or represented in different ways uh, because young Elliot there in his own head, which we think that scene occurs at the end of episode two, says Elliot and Mr. Robot. Those are the two named characters. So that means the other one, the other guy, uh, maybe he refers to as a different name. So what is that? Uh, TBD, I suppose. Um, But I don't think it's Tyrell uh, and I don't think it's Darlene. Uh, And both of those in this episode, I think, uh, have their own moments uh, in in a way that separated themselves from Elliot, even as their moments certainly relate to their relationship with Elliot. Uh, And I think that that just that that cyclical nature uh, was really, really the duality that was happening throughout this episode was really significant and really good uh, in terms of what was happening. 
Speaking of other deep cuts, uh, we've we've short we've we've played short change a little bit on what happened with DDP. As I said, not really something that I got a lot of grist out of. Um, we start her scene uh, with a very uh, very evocative, like she's jilling off uh, to the video of Darlene. Uh, that's dark, right? Like that's a really dark thing to be doing on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I mean, I think she's. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that she, I think that she is having a pretty rough night as well, to the point that she's going to have a nightmare, which we know is a rarity for Dom, to the point that when she has nightmares, I guess it's just the exact same nightmare over and over again, which yeah, I'm sure so, you will elaborate on. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you can reset it, I'll reset it. Uh, I this is something that I didn't even that didn't I just rewatched everything I feel like I have a pretty decent memory this did not even jump out to me at the time so I really it's a it's a credit to I want to give a shout out to reddit user uh, lost soul l-o-s-t underscore t-s-o-l for noticing that in season two episode nine when DDP comes to visit Angela at Angela's uh, bougie e-corp apartment the corporate living where she's living with beautiful probably ten thousand dollar table and just all the accoutrement in her beautiful place there uh ddp blows up her spot and says like i'm just coming in here you've got some food and she tells her a story and she basically says like i had this dream which if you know me it's pretty rare it was good at first exciting there was this there was this beautiful woman sexy even but then man did it go downhill fast by the end, I was being choked underwater. Keep in mind, she says this in season two, episode nine. She goes on to say, in that dream I had when I was being drowned, it was when I stopped fighting it. When I finally let go and stopped struggling so much, that's when I survived. So this is obviously what we see play out in this episode. We know from the text messages from her mom. We know from the timestamps on everything, the discussions that are happening. This is Christmas Eve. This is not a representation of the specific dream that she was telling Angela about. But are you reading it just that she tends to have the same dream over and over again and that's what's happening here or do you think something greater might be in play what would the greater thing be that she's like plugged into the white rose thing and this is what happens to dark army disciples that they have recurring nightmares that are part of like their new hard wiring i don't know i I think i took it pretty much at face value that she was having a nightmare and then on rediscovering this reddit thread that you pointed me to that yeah this is like this is dom's awful nightmare that she has over and over again. Um, if there's if there's something more to be gleaned from the fact that it's happening that it's happened to her specifically twice, I guess I just haven't meditated on that quite enough. Um, it's tough. Right? I don't know. Because- yeah, I don't know. That's where we start to get into like the alternate universe stuff that like I'm I'm still pretty reticent of of like taking too seriously. Well, or just that, that that there's some level of simulation that's happening that, you know, the fact that the clocks say 1116, uh, that there may be one day off on the dateline, the timing, uh, the people that are invested in that theory know a lot more about it than I do. But I know that's something people have tracked throughout uh, or other just little things like that. Uh, sometimes it's bait, like the the fact that Darlene was downloading uh, Shazam, the Sinbad movie, uh, the genie movie that doesn't exist, or that it was called Operation Berenstain, that there are those shout outs. The device of reaction to this episode is proof of the Mandela effect. 
Exactly. Some because people we, live we in a universe where they episodes. love this episode and right. other people live in a universe where they don't. <laughs> yes, good point. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I saw somewhere online, it might have been on Reddit, somebody's like, oh, you mean the Mandela effect? The thing where people just uh, have created this entire thing because they have shitty memories? Like, uh, So I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. But this is not... The, the show is baited a lot. Like, The show is putting a lot of that stuff in there. Whether or not it will pay off or whether or not it's just a red herring, uh, it, it remains to be seen. But the DDP thing... I think fits in both those realms. And I think that's what the show needs to have done well uh, in, at the end when it, when, it, when it tries to execute whatever it tries to execute. As long as it's able to exist in, in those realms, as long as it doesn't turn so hard into it, I don't know that everyone and that as many people will be displeased. And I'm fine if the show wants to take a hard turn. Uh, we've been debating that throughout every season of Mr. Robot. At this point, I'm open to whatever the show wants to give me because I, I accept the show... Delivery. Delivery. Yeah, I access the show in terms of their delivery is exactly what I was going to say. So if the show wants to deliver something different, I'm I'm willing to open my mind to it at this point. Uh, it does not feel like a, a thing where it's been one particular thing the whole time. And then it would really feel 11th hour or left field like we've seen on other shows that bring in aliens at, you know, at the end of the season or whatever it is. Uh, I, I'm OK with Mr. Robot, whatever they want to do, if, as long as they execute it. And I have faith they will. Uh, so I'm OK with with a lot of this stuff being bait, I'm okay with the DDP thing uh, being a thing that just is a coincidence, even though White Rose says those aren't real. Um, but White Rose is also crazy and megalomaniacal. So that doesn't mean that White Rose is right about that. You know what I mean? So I'm okay with that. But I, I like that it's there in, in the world where you can deep dive on that if you want to. Uh, and I'm sure in terms of DDP's life, uh, I that's the only reason I don't like the, this this story and I, don't, I didn't really have the, as much... Uh, for me is that I just already knew this about her. Like I, I know that yeah. for the last two months, she's been sitting around like not sleeping Um, that her mom's been worried about her and that she's had all these problems. The fact that she misses Christmas Eve because of it doesn't really move the needle much for me uh, because I just, I don't see any happiness in that character right now. I see how scared and upset she is, whether there more will come from what happened in this episode or, or not. I just, I didn't feel like there was a breakthrough like there was in terms of Elliot and Darlene with DDP in this episode. All right, let's get into some feedback because I think that'll help us wrap up uh, the stuff that we have not talked about yet in this episode. Uh, And just on that point of DDP, uh, and of course, you can always get your feedback into us at mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com is our email address, or you can tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro with two Z's, one R, and also tag at postshowrecaps. And we've got some feedback from last week that we'll get into as well. But as it pertains to 404, Antonio and Dom in particular. Stephanie had written and said, uh, yeah, I have a question. Did DDP grab a bottle opener out of her freezer? <laughs> she definitely did. She definitely did. Uh, keeping in mind this was a dream, so I guess in her dream that's where it is. I don't know if that's where it is in reality. But God, Josh, if this was her dream, that's what's in her freezer? That's what's in her fridge? I don't know. We've seen weirder dreams on Mr. Robot. We've seen people eating the terrible like tar fish. Oh, yeah, uh, you know, so, so I feel like I feel like the 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 bottle opener just, in the freezer is not massively weird in comparison. No, but it no, does but seem I, I, it seems a strange place to keep your bottle opener. I just wanted her to have a better spread there. Like she's got what? To, what, what does she say? Takati. Takati. Yeah, she's got Takati. Yeah. 
Drinking some Ducati. She's a Jersey girl. Uh, She has macaroni and gravy. Yeah, I, you know, that's what she dreams. It's just very mundane, like a Ducati and a bottle opener in the freezer. Like this is, this is her level of dream. I I understand it was being presented in a somewhat more straightforward way. So you wouldn't know it was a dream. Uh, That bottle opener in the freezer did not tip me off that it was a dream. Was there a moment before she got into the bathroom where you felt like it was a dream? No, no, I was in the whole way through. Same as me. Uh, and even when she got into the bathroom, I still was at that point, I was like, no, how could that person have like, what was this? Because I thought that when she was anonymously chatting with someone online, even though it was a person she had chatted with before uh, in the IRC, if you weren't familiar with what was going on there, um, that was somebody that we've seen her chatting on screen with even in the past, though. The episode does reference it that, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time or just who I was looking for, whatever it was. Um, This is actually someone we've seen her chatting with in the past online. So despite all of that, I I wondered from the jump, is this going to somehow implicate the Dark Army? Like, clearly, this is Janice screwing with her on some level. This is going to play out. So when the Dark Army mask showed up, I was still not like this has to be a dream. It was only when the really serious choking and everything that was going on with the tub was really playing out that I thought this has to be a dream basically right before she woke up. Uh, so I bought into it uh, wholeheartedly for sure. Yeah. What's next on the feedback? Uh, well, Zach Brooks was very angry about this episode and on a, a Facebook thread uh, that I've been tagged on during the recording of this episode, the blanket question was, why did every main character act so dumb this episode? Uh, and it, the, the the first gripe is directed specifically at Dom saying, sure, invite this internet stranger into your home. And in parentheses saying, that definitely happened. Also, Brooks, it definitely didn't happen. So already, I'm not even going to read the rest of your complaints because First you got DDP. that very fundamental thing wrong. It did not oh. happen. <laughs> it was a dream, Brooks. All right, you're triggered. Uh, I, triggered I will say, I will say, I did. I, I want to know what it's was Ty- possible that it happened, and she's like thinking back on it, but I don't no, think so. No, it didn't happen. What was Tyrell? So. What was because Ty- we saw the tub. There were no candles. There were no rose petals. What was Tyrell's I love you, plan? Brooks. Don't take it personally. What was Tyrell's plan? Like, what was he? he they're going to drive <laughs> well, upstate well, in this van. Yeah, so Brooks continues. <laughs> Brooks continues with that. I'm not even tagged in this thread, and yeah, I feel you on this yeah, one, Zach. Yeah, Brooks goes, sure, drive the van that's definitely got tracking out of town without checking if the guy is dead or at least restrained. Uh, and yeah, then when you there. get there, get a can of gas <laughs> and a lighter. Like, yeah. is he just going to burn the van? How yes. are they getting back at that point? Also, you're Hitchhike. a very recognizable man. When you told Elliot and Mr. Robot to go inside, and get a you know get a lighter or whatever why did you come inside keep your face hidden don't show yourself even to the goofy lady behind the counter who very definitely recognizes you even though she thinks you were on big brother and then the more time you spend there does remember that you're tyrell wellick like what are you doing man you're a very recognizable guy even in upstate new york and even to dupes who work behind the counter mm-hmm. at the gas station <laughs> uh tom palmer had written and said would tyrell being on big brother be enough to finally get josh to watch it uh to which i say nope oh you were nope. waiting to say that yeah nope no. Nope, and no. by the way, Still you're no. validated. Every summer you are more and more validated in your choice. That's I don't want to I don't want to trigger any of you people out there who love the Big Brother. Good you're for validated. you. I'm you're I'm validated. happy I'm happy for you that you enjoy it. It's just not 
for me. Uh, I didn't know Tyrell was on Big Brother. That was really funny. That was very funny. I mean, second Big Brother reference on the show, right? Uh, yeah, I think it, when you asked uh, Corridana about that uh, in season three, uh, he said there someone in the writer's room is a Big Brother fan. I don't know if it's Sam Esmail. I don't, uh, I don't think that that's the confirmation, but I do think there's someone in that writer's room who is a Big Brother fan. So yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, well, if we're trying to divine any like thematic resonance uh, from Big Brother being included a few times now, I think it's three times it's mentioned outright on the show, three different scenes, uh, because Irving talks about going back to watch Big Brother with his kids, and then you see him watching Big Brother, but he's alone, and now here uh, is Tyrell from Big Brother. Uh, are they all? Are they all being watched, Antonio? Is this all taking place in a giant house? Well, I'm I'm being reminded of the fact that uh, I have a coworker, uh, Dave, who was watching Big Brother for or Big Brother, Mr. Robot, for the first time. Dave's not good with names, uh, so it's pretty funny to hear him uh, just reciting the names of characters that are completely wrong, even though he is deep into season two. Uh, but he reminded me of the scene when Elliot eats the pills out of his puke uh, when he's trying to combat Mr. Robot by overdosing, uh, and in that scene, the music from the Truman Show is playing. I remembered, uh, and so. So if you want to say, is there somebody we're going to pull back the camera and we're watching? Yeah, they are all being watched by us. Uh, but are they all being watched by Big Brother? Are they all being watched by cameras at some point? I mean, we see that throughout the show, right? We see Elliot using the cameras in Grand Central. Uh, I would say, like, like I was saying with Tyrell, what are you doing, man? Like, your face is so recognizable. You don't just parade around. Uh, you have to really operate in secret. You cannot just be showing your face out there. So, yeah, there's cameras everywhere, man. Like, I, there's no doubt in my mind that the Dark Army will find this van very, very quickly uh, and that they will tie it to Elliot and, Tar and Tyrell very, very quickly. Uh, it's just a matter of, like, what will happen after that? Who knows? But, yeah, cameras are everywhere. Cameras are everywhere, of course. It's not, it doesn't have to be the big brother house we don't have to pull back and see they're in the house to feel those themes for sure brooks also said sure do whatever the hell darlene did in that episode darlene got a car and went upstate to go find her brother what's the problem love you brooks uh there was another great interaction on facebook between edmo and fitzy uh with edmo saying r.i.p tyrell probably maybe uh to which i say yeah uh but fitzy responded and said r.i.p the tyrell theory as well right do you think that this bullet to the gut that tyrell sustained antonio uh is that going to put an end to the Tyrellian theory or are people still going to be banging that big blue glowing drum moving forward? Uh, well, I think the people that want to bang it um, at this point, there's enough season left that I, there's no reason for them to seed it. There's no reason for them to give up on it. Like there's no reason for them uh, not to hold out hope. Uh, but I think it's there's finality for that for me. But there was already finality for that for me like seasons ago. So uh, I hope that people have given up on it already. Uh, if they're still banging the drum, I don't see any point to stopping at this point. I don't see any point to stopping at this point. I'm sorry, but uh, the way I feel about a lot of this is like, okay, so if you don't like this episode in the moment, I don't understand what you watched because just appreciating it on the craftsmanship level, like we've talked about, is enough for me to think this was a fantastic episode of the show. But if you didn't like it on the story level, if you didn't like it on the, well, we're, we're so let down level, like what about Tyrell on the endgame level? What about Tyrell yet? 
Listen, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. There are however many nine episodes left. Uh, maybe play it cool and see how it plays out. Like maybe wait and see if what frustrated you about the thematic elements or the narrative elements of this episode are actually what they end up being at the end of the day. That's why I feel comfortable looking back on something like Joanna Wellick and saying, you know what? Not the best part of the show for me. But uh, I'm not comfortable saying that now because I have no idea yeah, what will happen. Yet. Yeah. So there you are. Uh, your Don't friend- stop with Tyrell. If you're if you're into it, let's see how it plays yeah. out. You know? Your your friend in mind, the great Mike Bloom, had written in and said, "Now that we know Tyrell's rationale behind his love for Elliot slash robot, does it change any ways that we view their interactions in the past, or perhaps give us a clue to the identity of the other one? Um, anything else on that point that you feel we should uh, we should be getting into?" Well, like I said, the monologue really did that for me uh, in a way that maybe nothing else I saw on the episode did. Uh, but I really like the idea that Elliot puts on the hoodie uh, because he doesn't care and that Tyrell puts on the $6,000 suit because he does care. Uh, a lot of what the, you know, the theories of uh, if there is another one and it's related to Elliot or Mr. Robot, uh, people are looking at costumes. People are looking at what Mr. Robot is wearing and when. When does he wear the hat? When does he wear the glasses? When does he not? wear the hat when does he not wear the glasses you laughed pretty heavily uh at why was mr robot not wearing the glasses at <laughs> yeah. you know when when irving is showing him the upper one percent of the upper one percent partying on the day of the e-corp uh the the second you know the, the stage two attacks uh and i believe cora Dunner refused to answer your question about that uh, i could be wrong that's worth going back to review the podcast and your work on thr from season three i never but, go uh, back i never go back I well, go well other people People might want to do that uh, right. if they're if they're in on that because uh, I, so I understand that so I the, the idea that Elliot wears the hoodie for a specific reason uh, is I think a little bit of evidence there uh, as far as Tyrell's love for Elliot and Elliot not caring Elliot acknowledging that he does care on some level um again as i was saying for me the the real needle being moved is that we're seeing a a, a more well-rounded elliot emerge and so that if the other one that we're not ready to meet yet is the prime elliot that is capable of dealing with all of this that is that is vulnerable that is emotional that can relate to people and we've come a long way from elliot can't even go into a bar on angela's birthday party night uh, to the elliot that's able to admit what he's able to admit to Tyrell in this episode and not to manipulate him, not because he needs him to move, not for any ulterior motive, but just because he relates to him on a human level and he relates to him about Darlene on a human level. We've come a long way with that Elliot. And so seeing that and and seeing that through Tyrell, as I've already talked about, like it's meaningful to me. It makes me feel like even if it's not the other one that we're not ready to meet yet, we're seeing a different Elliot emerge. Uh, And as far as tracking the end game for that character, um, that's a, that's a great, character arc uh, just uh really fantastic work and, and rami malik is just so good at carrying that ball and showing us different shades emerging uh so that that's what it did for me at least how about you any any real any real uh grist for you from this one no i think i think that you summed it up pretty well uh you know where i'm at uh with with all of that stuff as well 
All right. Well, uh, I want to uh, just looking back. Is there is there anything else from this episode? I mean, yes. we had we had the pine barrens of it all. Yes. Uh, do you want to get into some specifics of comparisons here? Well, for- I, I think you know it, it was really funny. It was it was nice to see a lot of people kind of reacted the same way of like, oh, this is the pine barrens of Mister Robot. Uh, this is Polly Walnuts and cousin Christopher in the woods, uh, short of sucking on ketchup packets and relish right. packets and hoarding Tic Tacs, rubbing uh, his foot in a rug. He did get a rock in his shoe. That- that was he a did. direct shout out. He did. He did. Uh, Antonio, you and I both went back and revisited that great episode of The Sopranos and found that some of the storylines were less than great. Uh, the like the Jackie yeah. Jr. stuff. and, and Never for, forget that Scrabble game. For, for Meadow. Yeah. <laughs> the focus on all of the words that Jackie Jr. Yeah. Well, what is it? It's Poo, like... an ass and the. The is the punchline, which is so funny. <laughs> uh, if, if nothing else, is there is there like a lot to... To glean from going back and watching Pine Barrens of, of uh, The Sopranos. If you've never watched The Sopranos, first of all, uh, just do that. Uh, but if you have watched The Sopranos and you haven't uh, checked Pine Barrens in a long time, is it worth going back and rewatching that? Rewatching it as far as like, is this going to illuminate anything from Mr. Robot? For me, I believe I'm speaking for you as well, Antonio, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think our answer was not really other than right. like, that's just a great episode of television. And if this inspired you to go back and watch that episode of TV, definitely do it because it's so fun. Uh, that's a really, really great episode of television. Well, and these, these, and I keep using the phrase, but it really is the dark night of the soul. And it's similar to the suitcase episode of Mad Men, which is a phenomenal episode when you've got characters who just maybe need to sit down and have a moment uh, where they really are on some spiritual journey and they're shedding some level uh, of their individual insecurity and they're coming to grips with some uh, aspect of that. Uh, and they're maybe moving toward a greater path uh, in the case of Pine Barrens. It's Polly Walnut's feeling. Uh, some type of way about his position in the mafia. I'm a captain, he keeps saying. Uh, and he feels like a little bit inadequate, a little bit insecure about uh, where he is in his position. And Christopher feels like maybe he shouldn't be so threatened by this guy or just respect him. Uh, there's a moment where they have a huge face off and then they laugh about it. Uh, and then it ends with Tony talking to Paulie and basically saying, you're a captain. What do you think? Like it, it, there is that level of connection between those. And I, I think that's great when, when TV shows that are so driven by story and so driven by these moment to moment beats of the plot. Take a moment to breathe. We saw Elliot do it with Muhammad earlier in season three, uh, and we loved that episode where Elliot just took a moment to step back and really assess yeah. on, his, on his own level where he was and everything that he had been a part of. Uh, those are really successful episodes of television for me. And Pine Barrens, taking aside the meadow of it, I don't even care, even though you threw a dinner at my head. Uh, the, the London you know, the Royal. London Royal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an extremely memorable moment of Sopranos for me. Uh, just the, the stuff with Polly and Chrissy. So good. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Yeah. I, I love this type of television. Uh, I think more and more I'm trying to appreciate it more while it happens because these end up being, as, as I'm going through, lost with the Down the Hatch podcast with the aforementioned Mike Bloom. Uh, you know, that, that's something that I'm talking about a lot, you know, stopping and, and, and appreciating some of these episodes that maybe we haven't really gotten to those yet because we're in season one and it's still, you know, pretty, pretty thick early momentum. Uh, but I think the further that we get in, like once we start getting into some of the weeds of season two and three, uh, that there's some episodes there that were like maligned during the airing um, that for me, have have gained new life uh on review where you can like just like stop down and spend some time with your characters uh i think even like 
the the one episode of the final season of Game of Thrones that everybody seemed to actually agree was a good episode of Game of Thrones yes. was, a, was a Night of the Seven Kingdoms, uh, which right. with, without spoiling uh, Game of Thrones, if you've never watched Game of Thrones, is an episode where like you're kind of like stopping and checking the pulse of many characters before a big event. Uh, and this is obviously a radically different episode of television. Uh, and and in fact, uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick noted uh, that this was an episode that was intentionally dark lighting wise but there was another show where it was too dark and detrimentally hard to see at the end uh perhaps this episode in that regard does it relate a little bit more to uh the long night which is another episode from the final season of game of thrones um, but i'm trying to stop and appreciate and uh these 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 moments where we're, we're really getting to to have uh you know time for uh you know some some comfort su- uh comfort food you know some like some real just like good character rich stuff uh, for these people that were were so deeply invested in, um, so I I loved this. I thought I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, that's your it, own that's your own little introspective moment when you're realizing in the moment in watching these shows that yeah. you need to see the for appreciate the forest for the trees. That hard you don't to do. Need to it's see. not easy. It's not easy, right. and, and not everybody's going to agree that that's a good tree, and that's fine, <laughs> you know. Uh, but here on Christmas uh, in October, oh Tannenbaum, uh, you know, yeah, like I I I just want to I want to enjoy I want to enjoy Mr. Robot while we've got it. You know, right. pretty soon this show is going to change completely. Right now we are we are living in the end of this being an active situation. Uh, this is not going to be a show where we get to have a week in between episodes wondering what the hell is going to happen next. Pretty soon, the only way that we will be able to experience Mr. Robot is knowing everything that we're ever going to get to know about Mr. Robot. And that is going to radically transform every single thing about this show, yeah. for, for better or for worse. Um, and I've been through enough final seasons now, Antonio, uh, of shows that I've loved where I've been so focused on the end result that I didn't get to really just like take a moment to soak in the mood of a thing, the craft of a thing, uh, and really appreciate it on that level that I want to try and do that for this show. Certainly whenever I feel like it's earned it, if I feel like it hasn't earned it, if I feel like it's misstepped, uh, I will, I will absolutely call that. This just didn't feel that way to me. I know it did for a lot of people. And if it felt that way for you, you know, that's, that's how you read it. And that's totally fine. Um, for, for me, I, I really liked this one and I'm, I'm just trying to pay more attention to that kind of stuff. Well, and you're, uh, you're really doing a good job of capturing the poignancy of the episode, the bittersweet tone that was struck, uh, how meaningful and demonstrative, uh, some of the emotional moments were, uh, and just like how, how bleak it was, how existential it was on some level. Uh, we talked a lot about the craft, but just the shot when Tyrell says, I'm going to go for a walk. So good. The music, so good. Uh, the look on, on Elliot's face when Tyrell is walking away, uh, incredible, as I've said. And then the unusual moment at the end of Tyrell just stumbling toward his own immortality or mortality, as the case was in this instance. Uh, just really, really just the tone that was struck was so just so specific for me. Uh, and I think you're doing a good job of comparing that to, uh, how we should feel about a lot of what's going on. Like we should feel great that there is a show that we feel so passionately about, uh, that it can let us down in this particular type of way, not in like the, I'm so mad that they, uh, made such and such character, just a misogynist or a crazy person or whatever it is, but in the kind of way that's like, wait, that was 
was bittersweet. I wanted something exciting. Uh, and they're delivering a different flavor and they're delivering it so well. So I don't want to get lost in that. If I'm looking for an oak tree and I see a beautiful sycamore, I want to look at the sycamore and not just be mad because I didn't see an oak. Um, if other people want to feel a different way, that's, that's totally fine. Like you're saying, I feel bad for them, uh, because the sycamore is beautiful. Um, all right. Some stuff that's left over from last week. Uh, let's, let's take into that a little bit before we close out here. Uh, some, some commentary about Vera, about Fernando Vera getting back into the game. Not everybody is thrilled about that. Brooks, I swear to God, I'm not trying to drag you here. I swear. Uh, also I posted in that Facebook thread as we were recording this, that Brooks, I just screamed at you, but I still love you. And I got a sad face emoji in response from Brooks. This is like real time podcasting. This is so meta. So talk about active situations. Brooks, I love you. Uh, but Brooks had written in and said, I like the show Brooks a lot, here. but I don't, <laughs> I don't get the point of Vera in this final season and the terrific Phil T, my son, uh, or my nephew, probably Robin Akiva, or his father's uh, Phil T had written in and said, I have very low expectations for this Vera storyline. It seems like such a derail to me. Might as well bring back Craig Robinson while we're at it. Fitzy had said um, in in relation to some of the other theories that are that are uh, that are emanating from Vera's return. Fitzy says uh, Vera's former sidekick did not mention Darlene. Seemed like he'd been following Elliot for quite some time and said he mostly hangs out alone. The most meaningful interaction he felt the need to share with Vera was his one with Krista. That seems odd. Is that further evidence of Dar Dar? Darleliot? Is that how it Darleliot? <laughs> is that the new Tar- Tarleliot? Um that that is, I guess, pretty interesting that this guy before he gets shot uh says that he's mostly alone when we know that he and Darlene certainly all day leading up to that interaction had been together about uh what was going on with Magda. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh and I don't know there's a couple moments like that in this final season where I'm like is this is this just the writing the, the way that that's shaping out, uh, or is this something else that I should be tracking? I think after this episode, obviously, Darleliot, I would not say is a thing, uh, and I don't know how you could look at the events of this episode and feel that way. Um, but uh, we had talked about her knowing his phone code. Uh, you know the the idea that Elliot quote lost his sister. Um, there's a lot of language being used and a lot going on that I'm not sure exactly what it means, and so the idea. Idea that Vera that Vera's sidekick is is not seeing Darlene. It is interesting. I don't I don't know why. Uh, guy wasn't very good at his job, obviously. Um, so I, I don't know. Jeremiah Panhorse, the great Jeremiah Panhorse, was another one uh, who weighed in on Vera, and he said personally he's annoyed he's being asked to care about Vera and wondered if he was alone. He made the I thought the very good point that we already have a great antagonist with White Rose. Not sure why we would need another. Uh, maybe he serves as a helper to Elliot this time around. I plan to try the writers good plan jeremiah um i i yeah i don't know i'm willing to sit back and see how vera develops i think you've articulated very well how there are the global problems and the local problems and white rose maybe is more of a global problem and vera can be a very annoying very particular local problem Um, there's also the possibility it's going to be a punchline there's going to be something really funny that happens if we spend all this time with vera it could be really dark before that that's the part i'm concerned about especially since he's targeting 
targeting Krista, and especially right. since we're losing, there's been multiple deaths in like every episode. Is that right? Like, we had how many? De- we had how many in this episode? So we, we lose. Had- we lose Angela in four hundred one. Uh, we yep. lose Magda in four hundred two. Such as that was somebody that you really cared to sure. lose. Uh, with with four hundred three, uh, White Rose lost the love of her life. Not that that was somebody right. that we cared deeply about, but it clarified White Rose. Uh, four hundred four, we lose Tyrell. Uh, and the deer. How could we forget the deer and the dark army operative? Uh, yeah, Tyrell and the dark army operative. And it was Angela. And there, I mean, there were, there were not, there were more people that have died, uh, throughout the context of what's happened here. Freddie Lomax, of course, dies. Flomax dies in episode one. So there's two right there. And I think there's at least two in every episode. Uh, if I was, if, if I'm remembering something I read, uh, in a comment section somewhere. Uh, so TBD, if that means two will die next episode, will two die the episode after that? Uh, are we really just taking people off the board that, uh, that Ruth? I don't know. Uh, but that's what I worry about with Vera. I, I think there's at least a possibility that we're leading toward a really funny punchline. I don't know if it'll be like an Indiana Jones type thing uh, where Vera's doing all this crazy stuff. And then Elliot just in like 10 seconds dispenses with Vera <laughs> yeah. and then moves on. I would love it if it was something that's funny, like that, yeah, honestly. That'd be great. So that'd be good. I, I, it remains to be seen where it goes. Uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, all right. And then a couple more. Um, Fitzy says, we know the show is only taking place over a few days. Christmas Day fell on a Friday in 2015. Can we assume episode one was on Wednesday, the 23rd? Just trying to get a clearer picture of what day it is and how far along it may go. Perhaps the final scene is New Year's Eve and the ball dropping in NYC in Times Square. Uh, so right now where we are in the timeline is it's Christmas Day. It's Christmas early morning. It's Christmas morning. Uh, uh, so we're already up to the Christmas episode. Uh, that's already happened, and I expect it's going to continue to happen in episode five. Um, and I know that in the initial conception of the plan, with, with from Price's perspective, it's like, let's throw a New Year's soiree. Uh, that kind of gave us something to target for a potential end point of the season. But now White Rose wants to gather the Deus group today. As it, as it exists within Mr. Robot. So do we think we're going to be spending a bunch of time uh, on Christmas over the next few uh, episodes? Like we're at 4.05 coming up. Are we on Christmas Day through like 4.09? Could it be that far? What's your over under on how much Christmas we're going to be getting here uh, in Mr. Robot season? Uh, well, there's a definite difference between Christmas morning, Christmas day, and Christmas night, right? Uh, I think all three have their own linked traditions, and people celebrate in different ways at all three times of the day. Uh, so I think we, I would say comfortably, we just got the Christmas Eve episode. I, I really think that uh, what what the emotions that were captured there that I talked about earlier really resonated with me as Christmas Eve emotions. Uh, I think we, we are in Christmas morning, of course, but with the sun hasn't, the sun hasn't come up yet. Uh, so I don't know that we're in Christmas morning, he is born, he is born Christmas morning. I think that's about to happen. Uh, and where that, that takes us, does it take us in 405 throughout the entire day? I doubt it. We're not going to get to that meeting uh, in 405. So I think we're going to spend at least two or three episodes, whether there's a Christmas morning, Christmas day, Christmas evening kind of structure, I don't know. But I think we're going to spend at least three episodes on Christmas day itself. There's no possibility, right, that we spend the rest of the season on Christmas Day? Maybe a lot. 
There'd be a lot. I don't think yeah. there's a great chance, especially because I really like this theory that I've seen kicking around Jan Internets over the last week, Antonio, as it pertains to 1116, the time uh, that is on uh, the on, on the White Rose watch, the time that was on Magda's clock in her uh, in her uh, apartment, in her living situation, um, that we were, you know, we spent some time getting into the weeds of that last week. Uh, but one theory that I like for it is that that's not 1116, that's 1116, January 1st, 2016, which would be a date that we are barreling towards right now, potentially, given that it is uh, 122515 uh, at this moment in the story. So could we end there? Like, is that is, is a New Year's Day? Right. You know, like, are we going to are we going to get some level of blank slate uh, when we uh, taboo La Rasa? Are we going to can't wait? I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait for everything to end up perfectly mm-hmm. as 2016 begins on Mr. Robot, because it was such a good year in the real world. Maybe it's a better year in the world of Mr. Robot. Maybe there can only hope some different, some different choices. We can only hope a new for hope sure. will be will arise. No, the rise of Skywalker is uh, coming <sighs> I know. Um, All right. I think that's going to do it. We've got a lot already on the plate here in this episode, unless there's anything you feel like we didn't touch on. Did we not talk uh, uh, enough about the the cashier at the gas station? I was going to say quick hits. Uh, The cashier was really, really funny. Uh, Her line delivery was phenomenal. I really liked how Mr. Robot was the one who snapped on her because we've been seeing Elliot be the one that does that. The fact that it's Mr. Robot that does it. I suspect, though, can't confirm that if you watch that actress's delivery after he snaps on her, I think she lied to him. I think she gave him the wrong directions. Do you think that? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that would work thematically too, though, with the idea of like, just like be kinder to people. Right. Connect with yeah. them. Wouldn't just, kill you to be nice. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it might kill you to be mean. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really funny. We didn't we, we didn't spend a ton of time, but I mean, we don't have to. Uh, do you think the Dark Army guy got the message out? Like, do you think he was able to successfully transmit? Or the fact that they were never able to get cell service means that when he crashed after that deer and erased his memory meant that the message never got out? I would guess it's the second thing. Um or we'll find out very quickly if it was the first. Uh, you know, we'll 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 get the answer to that pretty soon uh, if if it's the first thing. Well, at um, the beginning of the episode, Tyrell said, you know, check the logs uh, and to see if there was a transmission. So the fact that the logs can be checked means that I think we could at least start next episode with some checking of the logs. Uh, the, not the Yule logs. That's something uh, I think different, even though tis the season. Uh, but so I don't know. I, I don't think he got the message out. But I, I if they're going to be a quick cover up I, I i just feel like the dark army is going to find out about this one way or the other i know tyrell's heroic moment was to stumble away to buy him some time i don't think he's going to buy him much time i think this is going to play out very quickly if we're going for doing real time here uh so we're going to see um the the one thing I wanted to hit, we didn't really hit it as much. There's a lot about we're going to die out here. Elliot says, you're wrong about one thing. I knew we were going to die since I walked out of that gas station and the van was gone. Do you find that to be prophetic? It certainly is for Tyrell. Do you think we should be tracking whether or not that's prophetic for Elliot? Or is that, again, it's a constant threat in Mr. Robot. Uh, but do you think it's a very specific threat because of Elliot's admission here? That we're that he's on a collision course with the howl of death himself. Yes, yes. Um, I I hope I I guess like to to take a firm stance. I think that Mister Robot will end and Elliot will be alive. Uh, okay, I think he's going to make it. All right, I'm I setting like myself up for disappointment, but I'm choosing to be an optimist. 
Well, and so we saw Tyrell's own blue screen of death at the aspects, end of the episode. Aspects, aspects of Elliot will die, right? Oh, like, you yes. know, there will be integration in the real terms and sacrifices internally that must be made, but a version of Elliot Alderson will live. I, I think I'm on the same page with that, and I'm hopeful. Uh, maybe I'm stupid for being hopeful, but I am. Uh, but we saw Tyrell experience his own blue screen of death there at the end of the episode. We didn't really talk about the 404 title, the, you know, the not found of it all. Um, obviously, on the surface level, they're lost. They're not found. Uh, and a lot of other characters are trying to find things. Is there any other reads you have on the episode title? I think a lot of people expected a very big, uh, significant, maybe genre-breaking style episode for Mr. Robot with a 404 error. Um, but I, I'm wondering if you feel like there's anything about the title that jumped out to you now that we've seen the episode. Well, to some people, they may think that uh, 404 not found, Mr. Robot lost its way uh, oh, here dear. with 404. I don't like your uh, tone, sir. You know, uh, <laughs> but no, I think I think that that's fine. I think I think it's enough. I think it's enough that like it's an episode that is spent on people who are lost. Uh, I think if if this title structure for the final season as it's bearing out, which is, to my mind, by far and away the best title structure of any season of Mr. Robot, uh, not my favorite aspect of the show uh, <laughs> are, are the episode titles. Uh, I, I think that this works. I think it works within that. I think to, to be spending um, as much time as we did with these people who are who are literally physically lost, but are also trying to, you know, find themselves within themselves. I think it was good. It didn't need to be genre breaking uh, for me. Me neither. Uh, and it seems like they're promising a very special episode next week. So maybe there will be some elements of that next week. Uh, TBD on that, I suppose. Uh, I guess one real final thing. And from my notes here, uh, obviously DDP's section of the episode was not really super surreal. It was weird, but a very long stretch of it was a dream that we didn't know was a dream. Um, do you think there's any more of that that's gone on or that went on in this episode? Or is that just an outlier? She was the only one that was dreaming. And that's that. Uh, I I take it just that it was her dream, um, but I know that there's definitely reads of this episode from some people who think like, is this playing out in two different timelines? Is this is one reality the reality we're used to? Is there a reality that is part of the White Rose plan? I just I just have not really considered the episode on that level. Uh, having gone back and revisited it, it was just not really on my radar. Yeah, me neither. I mean, it's there, obviously, with Dar- with, with DDP's storyline that, you know, a dream doesn't have to look like a dream. And the stuff in the woods was even more surreal than what was going on with DDP on some level. So if you wanted to say dreams are dreams, like, or they look like dreams, clearly that looks like what a dream might look like. Uh, but I, I do think it was on the straight. Uh, the straight. I do think it was uh, how on the level how it was presented. I don't think that Tyrell... Uh, uh, is going to be uh, cured by a taxidermist. I do think he's dead. Uh, so, you know, make of that what you will. If you want it to be a dream, I guess, like I said, we have nine more episodes uh, for you to find out if you're right or not. I would just hope that you wouldn't be disappointed uh, because you'll appreciate the forest and the trees as you go along, uh, that the 10-foot view will be as pretty as the 1,000-foot view. I hope that's the case for everyone. I know it is so far for me, and I don't expect it will change. All right, so we will be back next week talking about four. 405 method not allowed is the name of the next episode Meth heads not allowed Meth heads not allowed sorry skinny pete uh oh, so no. that is that is the next episode of mr robot get your questions in mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com you can tweet at us as well i'm at round howard antonio who are you 
I am uh, at AC Mazzaro with two Z's and one R. And at Posher Recaps is our Twitter account. So make sure you reach out to us. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. PosherRecaps.com slash MRRobot iTunes for our Apple feed. But find us however you find your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. We would so appreciate it. It'd be really, really great if you did these things. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for your patience on uh, us putting this episode up a little bit late here. Uh, Certainly much appreciated. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I know it can be frustrating. Frustrating uh, when you uh, have a routine built around when a podcast will be out and it's not out. So I certainly uh, personally appreciate the, pr- the patience here. It was on brand with uh, 404 not found. So uh, it all it all works it was. out. We were lost in the woods and we couldn't record. Yes. The, our, our reception was non-existent, but yeah. we found it. We are found. We are coming back next week to talk about 405. Uh, if you're not currently listening to Antonio and I talking about Watchmen on the weekly, by the way, what are you even doing? You should totally do that. Watch the Watchmen. It's These on the voices HBO. We use. Yeah. Uh, it's on HBO. It's Damon Lindelof doing Watchmen. Uh, and it's great. And Antonio and I are having a wonderful time podcasting about it over at the Hollywood Reporters series regular podcast. So seek out that podcast, subscribe to that one, and make sure you catch all of our Watchmen coverage. If you are watching and enjoying that show and didn't realize that we were podcasting about it, guess what? We're podcasting about it. So it's seek happening. It out. It's happening. It's great. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, a really fun show. Uh, it's a lot. So uh would love it if uh, people are fans of Mr. Robot, haven't checked out Watchmen and have the ability to do so. Give it a shot and uh, listen to the podcast. All right. Other than that, we will be back with another Mr. Robot podcast next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Takati. Takati.